Okay, dice roll coming up. And we've got eight. An eight. Guys, the topic we'll be discussing today is a question. Do you require your players to read the rules? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. I'm Andy Rao. And this week we are joined by Bryn Mills. Hi, everyone. Hey, thank you so much for coming on, Bryn. Yeah, so we were discussing just before we got on on the recording just exactly how we got connected with you. And it's sort of a securitous uh, route. So it's my GM knows one of your players who <laughs> who played in a campaign that you you ran for quite some time. And so we, we heard about this and we needed to have you on to sort of discuss yeah. exactly what that cam- campaign was. I'm probably going to get the detail wrong. Am I correct that it... It started in 1997, and you just wrapped up recently? That's slightly incorrect on both ends. We actually started it in 1990, April of 1996, and it's oh, it still going strong. We are, we're playing tonight. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. When it came up that you had been involved in a campaign for that long, my jaw just dropped. I feel like we're talking to the Holy Grail. Like we have <laughs> in our sights that thing that every GM dreams about. Yeah this like multi-year long campaign yeah. and so i don't want to um put you too much on the spot but i do plan to ruthlessly interrogate you about uh, your experiences <laughs> in that long yeah. campaign yeah no no absolutely look forward to talking about that yeah so why don't you uh, i guess let's maybe start uh maybe even before that i guess so had you had you run games have you played in games uh, tabletop games before launching into this campaign or was that uh it was just like the the start of it for you no so uh i mean i think i'd uh i was born in 73 just to mm-hmm. just so we can level set on uh what i was doing at what age but you know like i think like a, a lot of people i first became interested and kind of aware through those fighting fantasy books if you guys know those they were they were games yeah. workshop things or games mm-hmm. workshop related things very big over here in the uk Steve Livingston and yeah, Steve, no, Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston. That was kind of a, a gateway drug for a lot of people. And, you know, you'd, you'd go and find the old red box or, or blue cover first edition D&D, you know, start playing with friends. So really I was doing that from, I guess, the age of about uh, 11. Hmm. You know, one, one of the, one of the very first, I'm, I'm pretty sure the very first time, in fact, I played D&D was with, with a guy called John, who is uh, still one of the players in the campaign that wow. I'm running at the moment. So we'll be, playing tonight for something like our 39th consecutive year. So, yeah, so re- really, you know, through high school and, uh, and college and things, I would, uh, you know, have various campaigns. You know, I'd run one, someone else would run one, you know, different kind of overlapping groups uh, that last for a year or two. Mm-hmm. You know, the exact reason that I started this particular game and campaign is probably lost to the mists of time. <laughs> yes. I certainly don't think that when... When I kind of pulled together a group of friends, and again, as usual with these things, you know, some were pre-existing players, some were, you know, other people and friends of friends and people who'd uh, expressed an interest. But when we started that in '96, I certainly didn't. I don't think anyone was expected still to be doing it in the uh, in the far distant future. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, here here we are. So it was really a continuation of the previous 12, 13 years of gaming, mm-hmm. mostly GMing. I don't know why I'm always the GM. You know, there's yeah. always, yeah. In, in, every, in every circle, there's one person who's, uh, yeah. who's the bossy one, isn't there? Or the one we, know, we know that experience well. With this campaign, first of all, uh, is it using D&D or something else or your own system? It's D&D. We started off uh, on good old-fashioned advanced Dungeons & Dragons first edition. Uh, mm-hmm. I think second edition must have been out by then, but we... we 
yeah. have that for some reason. We ported it to 3.5, oh gosh, I would say about 2005. But right at, right at the start of, of this year, we actually did a, a bit of a reboot. So for the, for the third, but no, for the second time, for the third group of characters, we kind of realised that the current group's PCs had gone really as far as they could. And I'm sure this is something you guys, you know, in the D&D world have come across and talked about a lot. They kind of hit that 13th, 14th level period where they're kind of demigods and it's hard yep. to keep a hard to keep a believable world going. Mm-hmm, we yeah. just finished, you know, some really big, chewy story arcs and we're wrapping up loose ends. And uh, we all agreed it would be a great opportunity to draw a line, you know, under that particular con- well, under that particular set of characters mm-hmm. and to, to do what we've done before, you know, start again with first level characters, but you know, obviously in the same world in the same continuity. As we did that this time, we took the opportunity of doing that to change to 5th edition, which okay. I, for one, I think most of the players are, are really enjoying. That's great. The existing characters then, so are still sort of in in and around the setting, I guess. So like, so you've done this a couple times now? So is this the, the third go-around, you said? This is, this is the third set of characters, yes. Okay. Now, in fact... Uh, but hopefully we we learned some lessons from the first time we did it. Yeah. Because the first time we didn't quite have the have the story arc in as nice a, a location, and and we also just kind of drew a line and said, right, you know, fourteenth level characters go off into the sunset. Yeah. <laughs> here, here, here's your first level characters. Here's the slightly contrived opening scenario yeah. that you you always have to come up with to explain why these seven mm. different individuals kind of hang out together. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. And of course, that meant you know, for the next, I don't know how many years, you know, in, into that kind of second tranche of the campaign, there'd be a uh, constant humorous comments. Oh, well, if this is such a big problem, why don't our previous party sort it yes. out? What are those guys doing? <laughs> yeah. Why Why didn't they ever deal with the lick they left in a cave and made a promise yeah. to and never kept? And how about that demon that was bound and we never quite... <laughs> so... So this time what we did was, as well as going to first level, we kind of time skipped the continuity of the campaign world forward. I think we said it was 70 years in the end, okay. which uh, meant that the cataclysmic events that the party had been involved in as far as the story arc had time to settle down and that all of their existing characters, the human ones anyway, I think it was one elf who's whereabouts is unknown you know would all be reasonably expected to have died of old age yeah to have faded into myth and legend so uh that that's what we did this time so it's uh it's kind of a a new world well it's the same world with some logical progressions give some scope to you know do some interesting things again when you've been running about the same world and although the characters have traveled well both the previous two sets of characters between them had traveled to pretty much all the major parts of the world the main kind of anchor location of the campaign is um, an island probably about the size and not dissimilar to the shape of of britain and based yeah. on a lot of uh of kind of old uh, celtic and arthurian legends as well That's so you know when characters have been running about an island the size of this country for you know for 25 years uh, <laughs> they can get quite used to it so it's a good opportunity to have yeah. all of the you know, have all of the different cities and states and tribes and locations to have iterated on in, you know, historically, logically 70 years worth and for there to be new and interesting things that have happened and new and interesting things that have appeared and been built yeah. in places 
and organisations and people for them to explore and meet. But Anchor did a world that they all know really well. Is that that sort of world building, do you do that collaboratively or is that something that you're coming up with and sort of setting, setting in front of them? So I think the, the question about collaboration is a really good one. And I, I always look on the game, you know, the whole concept of the, the role-playing game uh, and the campaign we run, I think only works and people only come back every week and I, I keep doing it because it really is an exercise in collaborative storytelling. While the you know, the actual geographical makeup of the world and the you know the the basics of the law and everything are you know, you know the the background that I set the level of detail and storytelling and you know kind of invention of background and characters people will come up with really quite just thinking about the current campaign people will come up with really quite elaborate backstories you know about the wretched village of Turnipford that they come from in one case and you know they're <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the character's job in the lost property window of the uh, Hobbits Amalgamated Friendly Society, which is the Thieves Guild uh, of the city, lost yeah. property and heavy quotation marks there. So that, yeah. yeah, people people really do come up with a lot a lot of material, a lot of background themselves. We've got a character now as a bard, who uh, I think we probably abused this slightly, but to get him to get him to uh, extemporise lengthy. Uh, lengthy sonnets and uh, rhyming couplets <laughs> describing what's just happened if he yeah, wants to true. give if, if, he, if he wants to give the maximum bardic bardic advantage roles the now bard experience yeah we, he has to he has to come up with the rhyming couplets which he does um uh, so nice. yeah it's uh <laughs> you know it's uh again so i i kind of see the dm's job really is to provide provide the the template and provide the suspension of disbelief that then people can really mm-hmm. start to, to be creative and you know carry out their own their own creativity and their own world building. For sure. When I first heard about your campaign going for so long, I mean, the main, the biggest question I had was, how do you get a group of people? I assume it's at least, I think many GMs find it hard to keep a game meeting together for more than a few months or a year at a time. So were you just kind of blessed with players that were just the right players with just the right level of enthusiasm that it was never really a problem to keep meeting consistently through the years? Were there times when the campaign almost fell apart just due to life stuff happening? Tell us a little bit about how you herded this group of adults into uh, into <laughs> meeting. You said weekly, which is jaw-dropping um, for years. It's it's a really good question. And, you know, if we if we look back at the kind of history of the of the cadence and, and how and where we, we would do this, I think we we fell it. It's it's always been a or for probably twenty five or twenty six of the last twenty seven years. It's been it's been the kind of Monday night D and D game. <laughs> uh, again, m- much of this is lost to history. And uh, while I've got box files full of scrappy old paper, I, I do wish I'd kept a proper log of everything. So it would be a, an epic tome by now. But you know, some yeah. things ah. I have to have to dredge the memory a little bit for. We were probably playing weekly on Mondays, you know, in the in the late nineties. The period I think where we we played least frequently was perhaps two or three years, about two thousand and one through to two thousand and three, where I was working uh, working away a lot. Where the game was anchored in the the northwest of England, a little south of of Manchester, where most of the players lived there or nearby. So there was a couple of times where we'd probably only be playing eight to ten times a year uh, mm-hmm. through that period. When I moved back more closely, you know, most people were still still around in the area we fell into a pretty regular bi-weekly 
cadence where we'd play mm-hmm. every other Monday, and you know, with the occasional you know, time when most people would be on vacation or mm-hmm. seen things, yeah. that probably meant that we were getting in a good you know, 20, 22 sessions a year. So yeah. we did that um, bi-weekly up till, up till COVID. I say most people were were close-ish. I, I think I drove the furthest. I would I'd be driving <laughs> fifty miles. Another guy would come across a similar distance. But yeah, yeah. that's all manageable. Everyone else yeah. was closer. And then of course COVID, yeah. uh, and it was a real yeah a real lifesaver for everyone. Uh, as I think a lot of you'll probably find a lot of people have told you in COVID to have that game. We moved it uh, moved it online. We play uh, play on on Discord now. Works really well. D and D Beyond again with fifth edition has been a great help to that, making everyone's uh, you know character sheets and dice rolls oh, okay. uh, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say that none of us have missed the uh, the kind of round the table dice falling on the floor and rolling into the sofa and pushing <laughs> that bit at all. Yeah. But you know, I think I think the the convenience and the reliability of doing things on Discord, you know, greatly mm-hmm. greatly outweighs all of that. Yeah, we moved to we moved to weekly uh, at the start of that COVID period, and we've kept it up on a weekly cadence ever since. It's quite yeah. quite a lift, obviously, for the DM who has to prepare yeah. most of the work, and that's actually let us put in a what's now the seventh PC. There are eight of us now in total. Oh, okay. But you know the the fact we've moved online and and onto Discord through COVID meant we could bring in you know our, our most recent uh, player Mark. I say most recent. He's been with us three years. He lives uh, <laughs> further away. Yeah, he wouldn't have been able to make it for in person games on a yeah. Monday night. But he's just slotted straight into the group right now. Do you do you think you'll ever go back to doing in person, or is this sort of is this how you want to play games now going forward? Well, you know, we I think we had all assumed uh, during that COVID period that we would revert to, you know, mostly in person, but it just never happened. And I think it never happened just because there's really no one's felt any kind of pressing need to do that. That's fascinating. Yeah, because I think we, we for sure heard the the opposite of that, like of people moving their campaigns online and then it just sort of fizzles because no one wants to play, you know, or it's just like, you know, we're going to put this on pause until we can get back back in person. Too. So like that's that's very heartening to hear that it's working well for you. Going back to like the number of players that you said that you've had over the years, like when you meet weekly, is everybody there every week, or is there you know sometimes you only have four players and you have to figure out something else to do? Our general rule is that we'll play with we'll play with one person missing if we're already one person down and someone as very occasionally happens. I say very occasionally, it is a stunningly reliable group of people generally. Yeah. But, you know, there'll be obviously with life and everything, there'll be the occasional last minute dropout. So it doesn't really hurt us too much to uh, to go ahead. Two people short. Kind of depends where you are in the campaign as well. You know, there are, I would say, perhaps two or three uh, times a year, certainly with the, the big story arc that we, we finished last year. Yeah, there are times when obviously you would have to have or you would very much want to have everyone there for their mm-hmm. own sake. You know, you, you, play, oh, yeah. you play through a world-shattering story arc. The last thing you want to do is go have to visit your aunt and come back and find out that the world has either been saved or destroyed. <laughs> yes, and, so, yeah. and someone did the dice wrong for you and you've missed it. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, like, so we rolled on the, the, the table before we started this conversation. And so you rolled the topic of, you know, do you require your players to read the rules? And I think this is a, this is a really interesting question, I think, for you specifically, right? Because you're, you're transitioning to fifth edition. So did you require everybody to go out and buy the books? In, in short, no. We uh, okay. you know, like, to be, like to be inclusive. Really, the player base runs the gamut from 
you know, really serious D&D enthusiasts who've got all the books, you know, through to, through to people who enjoy the game and enjoy the friendship group, but, you know, would never play if they didn't, or have never played and would never play if they didn't play with this particular uh, yeah. group of people. Yeah. There's always perhaps a little bit of uh, of tension, and I'm sure healthy tension, but I'm sure some DMs probably wish uh, wish their players didn't read quite as many rules as they could, <laughs> because <they'll, laughs> somebody doesn't know what a saving throw is or how to roll for damage, obviously, isn't going to enjoy the game. We don't have anyone like this, but, you know, you hear you hear other other DMs and other, other players talk. You know, someone someone who has a, a rules lawyer hectoring the DM and telling them mm-hmm. what will happen and what should have happened, that's no fun either. And luckily, we don't have anyone in either of those categories. It is genuinely interesting after the game. You know, people will pop up all week in the Discord channel saying, oh, I... I know we're in this situation. I think we need to forage, and I think looking at the rules, this is our best strategy and this is our best chance. And yeah, you know, that sounds great. All in all, you don't need the players to read the rules. If some have, if some have a kind of deeper knowledge and understanding of the mechanics, I think you can generally, as in this case, turn that to turn that to a positive. When you changed rule systems. Was that because the new system was out there and it looked cool and appealing? Was there a sense that you had maybe seen everything that the old rule system had to offer and were ready for something new? What went into that decision? And was that you saying, I'm sick of running second edition, third edition looks more fun for me? (laughs) Uh, Did that come from the players? So that was a move from 3.5 to 5. Uh, I think it was raised by some of the players, and we had a really, a really quite long and very, very healthy debate uh, about it. Some, some people were not at all keen, and some were very, very enthusiastic for it. I think everyone, everyone's reasonably happy with where we ended up in the end. Certainly, from from my perspective, my challenge was that the kind of that kind of twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth level, you know, it's kind of okay for, you know, a big big epic fantasy uh, traveling through planes and other realities kind of game but when when everything is anchored in in one world you know it's really it's really difficult to make a believable inhabitable playable game world where the players can have some reasonable expectation of you know being afraid that the city watch in a new city uh, <laughs> right. might have got the wrong have got the wrong idea about them and might catch them now there's only so far you can ask them to suspend their disbelief and behave mm-hmm. like someone really would when they could, <laughs> you know, eliminate all of the city watch and their watch house with a, a wave of their hand. Which is, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, after the big epic cataclysmic storyline, which I think did did make good use of of that kind of level, we we went for the the reset back to first level. Mm-hmm. I think I've not played obviously five e at the higher levels, but I, I get the impression that the, the kind of ramp up in power as you go up the levels is is a bit less extreme. Might actually be a little bit uh, disappointed in that it certainly seems to me as you go up the kind of mid five, six, seven levels in five E, it seems like you are you're almost getting nothing for your mm-hmm. for your level, yeah. you know. The fifth edition like games that I've run, there there definitely does feel like there's a few levels in there for every every class that's just like, I don't know, just doesn't sort of do anything. Yeah. <laughs> do yeah. anything for you. Unless uh unless your GM is really leaning into specific, you know, rules and stuff. I mean, I think like the the rogue in particular is is somewhat boring until you hit third level. But I mean I, I do think it's rewarding as you go through. Um and I know like for me personally, like yeah, once once they start edging up to around 
even just like past level five, you're right on. It's just like they, they can sort of handle a lot of normal, normal person stuff yeah. without needing to think about it um, such that it becomes a, a different game <laughs> almost entirely. Yeah. It makes me think about, you know, one of the differences between kind of the D and D fantasy and other types of fantasy you find in books and movies. You know, I'm thinking about you running your campaign world. You designed this campaign world, uh, anticipating that it would be explored by first and second and third level characters. Mm -hmm. And D&D is a game where, in a lot of ways, if you want to keep using all the rules of the game, the setting kind of has to... (laughs) The setting has to level up with your players, because, you Mm -hmm. know... At a certain power level, as we've discussed several times, people can start visiting plane other planes at will. You know, <laughs> did you did you think about other planes when you did your system? You know, and it's just an interesting difference. You know, by the end of Lord of the Rings, Frodo isn't level twenty and he can't teleport around. No. And, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. He's leveled up certainly in a lot of narrative ways. But in D anD I feel like as Jim, you would kind of always having to be looking ahead, say like, what level of power are my players about to enter into, and yeah. what needs to change about my campaign world to accommodate it? Or did is did you find that that was an issue? Yeah, I mean that that has that has been a challenge, as I was saying, which I think did did push the game, you know, kind of in in the direction of a big a big kind of a Ragnarok type uh, confrontation. Mm-hmm. Is that part of why you did that con- confrontation? You're just like, I've hit the point where my setting won't make sense or it won't be fun for yeah. me with this level of uh, PCs roaming around. Yeah, I well, I, I, I certainly think it, it made sense for you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of you know big story arcs and mythology and backstory going on in the game. It obviously made sense that the players at that level would be part of it. We don't do a great deal of. Uh, of extra planar stuff that's not been a huge part of the mm-hmm. campaign uh we have i have for whatever reason and i found this quite a useful done quite a bit of time travel i suppose for oh interesting on, on for better terms so we've had we've had the, the party thrown into the kind of primordial past one piece i really enjoyed where they went into the future or they went into a possible oh. uh, a possible future Oh, that's cool. Uh, and it, this this was really in the in the build up to this kind of big kind of confrontational end of the elves uh, battle that they they kind of had to go into the the predictions the premonitions uh, of someone who had a premonition that they would be the last the last elf it was called that whole thread and, and the characters had to go go forward into his mind see the post apocalyptic world where everyone had been destroyed everything new was in ruins and there were just a few a few tribes of cannibalistic feral hobbits. Mm. shattered landscape uh, to, <laughs> to retrieve good. to retrieve the <laughs> necessary information to to come back and try and stop that happening which spoiler alert they eventually did yeah excellent <laughs> so you know that brings up kind of a companion question i have you've talked a lot about story arcs and and yeah. chris you can obviously chris you have not run like a nearly 30 year campaign of dnd no, but i would I, I would like to hear what your thoughts on this too pacing wise how long does it take to go through kind of what you would consider a coherent story arc? I don't know if like each of your individual PCs has their own arc that they're following, or if it's more of the thing that the group as a whole is kind of on a trajectory, but you've mentioned story arcs. So is that like a six month experience? Is that a five year, five years from when this story started to when it was resolved experience? Tell me a little bit about how you pace your stories and your sub stories. 
gosh, so uh, I I don't I don't think there's any any kind of deliberate planning of uh, you know I I would expect this to be a a six month arc or a one year arc or something. I did surprise myself. I think uh, looking I was looking back through some old notes and I found I found things dated from uh, four four years previously, which had been at the start of the really big climactic part of the, the hmm. last. So the seeds arc. were there, you know, years in advance. The seeds were there years in advance. So I think I think we did have really a kind of it, it was almost the kind of eighteen months of of build up to the big finale. Mm-hmm. You know, halfway through Return of the King, and then a kind of eighteen month uh, wind down, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. following up the loose ends. You know, resolving the mm-hmm. story threads, and then with a bit of a surprise moment at the end, which is when we uh, dropped the everyone knew it was coming, of course. But when yeah. we says, "Right, wow, that's happened. Good grief! Pull the lever. Campaign ends. That's where your characters are. That's yeah. where they stayed. You know, mm-hmm. what what happened to them after that is." Is really for your guys storytelling uh, imagination, and a lot of the guys have, have, you know, have come up with uh, with you know, fantastic little stories about how their how their characters lived out the rest of their lives after that. But yeah, it, it is it is amazing that uh, a story arc can last literally four or five years. I think if if you or certainly if I was actively thinking like the the decisions I make and the information I give and the direction I set in tonight's campaign had better be good enough. To be uh, worthwhile in five years' time, I'd probably be too nervous to do it. So it's perhaps, yes. perhaps a good job. You don't think that's uh, quite that far ahead. Well, maybe it's a personality thing. But so I have for how many months are we into the year? Four months? Five. Into, four five. Or five, five. Five. So I've been running a more or less weekly game of uh, Call of Cthulhu for that time period. And it's wonderful. It's going great. But by month two and a half, I was like, this is really fun. Also, look at all these other games I want to run. Like, <laughs> wouldn't it be more fun if we like were playing this other game? All that to say, have you gone through phases where you were just like, I am bored of this setting in this campaign? Um, and did you just power through that? Because obviously you did you did not do what I would do, which is like, guys, this is going great. Um, the last two months have been great. Let's all switch. We're now playing Mech Warrior or something. <laughs> that, that's a great question, actually. And it's it's interesting that you, you kind of raise Call of Thulu as an example. I, I did run a Call of Thulu campaign like in high school. So that was that was one of the few few things I've ever done for more than a session or two that wasn't uh, that wasn't D&D. Yeah. Games like that, which have a very specific setting and mythos, can be can be great games. I think for a very long-term sustainable campaign, I'm, I'm going to almost going to use the word vanilla, and it's not. I'm not using it in the derogatory sense. I think mm-hmm. you know D and D as a kind of default, non-wacky, almost generic, and it's in many ways it's called it's of course the generic medieval fantasy yeah, game setting sure. because because it invented it. But you know, a a very kind of generic, recognizable world. And, and again, the world, and then the world you build on top of that rules. I've found, uh, obviously, it's got its. Uh, I like to think, you know, its uh, its quirks and its depth, and its own mythology and its unique things and its interesting bits. But I, I do think that a kind of almost, you know, general generic-ish fantasy worlds where you know dwarves are little and fierce and like to buy yeah. and sing, and elves That's are nice. mysterious and ethereal, and naughty hobbits like to steal things, you know. Yeah. <laughs> all, all, all of that stuff people are familiar with and expect kind of gives you a base that you can then 
you know, you can then build your layers on top of without people having to, you know, constantly get used to or deal with the, you know, the novelty of the fact that mm. it's a, a specialist or a unique or wacky world setting. So in, in many ways, you know, I think with, with games like Thulu and with, you know, with settings which would be particularly, you know, removed from the, again, standard medieval fantasy. Yeah. It's almost like people are playing the world instead of, you know, playing the character and playing the story inside the world. So I think I, I think that kind of I was going to say not interesting. I'm, I'm struggling to find the right words. You know, if, if, if you kind of call yeah. it general and generic and vanilla, it, it makes it sound boring. But uh, yeah, I think yeah. You, you know what I'm saying. Though. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a shared vocabulary. Yeah, exactly. It's, exactly. Um, it's kind of genericness. You know, I can see that making it easier to to go off in almost any direction you need to for yeah. the story. Whereas something like Call of Cthulhu, you're you are kind of locked into, you know, a, a, a general setting and theme. And Cthulhu is probably a bad example because everything has been Cthulhuized in the last 20 years. But uh, yeah, Chris, you've you've run some D&D games that went for a while. Did you have that experience, you know, as well? Did you find yourself getting bored with those kind of, quote, generic, it's a world of dwarves and elves and hobbits stuff? Or did you experience what Bryn's talking about, where those yeah. building blocks, like, lent themselves to be put together in lots of different combinations? Yeah, I mean, I never, I don't think I'll ever get bored with it. I mean, as as I've stated on the podcast before, like, I am just so into fantasy nonsense that, like, you just, you know, give me give me that generic setting, I'll be happy yeah. as a clam, right? Because, like, there's a hobbit. It's great, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, for me, that's never been the problem. The problem, it, like, for me, always will come down to, like, mechanics or something, right? Where it's just, like, okay, I'm, I don't want to do this part of the game system so like let's just jump over it right like like i'm sick of travel sequences we're no we're no longer gonna do <laughs> do those sorts of things yeah yeah so or or like the story is sort of you know wrapping up um you know brenda your, your point like sometimes you're like okay we got to wrap this story up wrap up this arc and you're like okay this will take two sessions then it takes six months right so that's that's for sure happened to me um too but yeah but i mean i i sort of just love that like that default vanilla setting you know and two for bringing in new players um then you don't yeah. have to explain like your own mythology it's just sort of like well have you seen lord of the rings okay it's sort of like that so you can just <laughs> yeah. go go from yeah. there no, I could complete, completely agree with that, yeah. yeah. And I have to say, you know, obviously, Brain, you've got enthusiastic players. I, I mean, mm -hmm. the glimpses we've got at your players make me uh, just uh, madly jealous. You know, you have players that are actively scheming and plotting in between mm -hmm. sessions, you know, of what they want to do next and how they're going to do that. I think players like that would, you know, I'd run anything for players like yeah. that, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm extremely lucky and privileged to, to have that group. I yeah. really am. All right. Uh, well, we should we should wrap up our, our conversation here. This has been so good. Bryn, thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, it's about, about your campaign and like, yeah, how you, how you go about it and stuff. Like this is, this is really inspiring stuff, I think, right? So this podcast is targeted to GMs and I think everybody's going to be, everybody's going to have that, that twinge of jealousy, but then also sort of take, take some, uh, <laughs> some lessons from you too. Um, but yeah, I guess before, before we wrap up, do you have any sort of like closing, closing thoughts, I guess, like what's, uh, are there like any details from your campaign setting that you're like, this is fun. Everybody should steal, steal this idea. Anything like that? Any NPCs or locations? Oh gosh! So I, I think the uh, the one thing I think I most enjoy, and I, I think the players enjoy, perhaps they're being polite, is that I like to 
as I say, it's a it's a city often a city based campaign. You know, the players mm-hmm. who expect to live in one of the big cities and travel between the cities and do stuff on the way. But I I take great pleasure in producing uh, mock up newspapers, which oh, are, no. which, oh, are yeah. which are published in the city. So the 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 kind of anchor city of the campaign, Gravisport, has one <laughs> a newspaper called the Fiery Orb, which is a comical <laughs> medievalism of the sun, which is a well known down market British newspaper, oh, and it yeah. it uh, it lets me you know indulge my a captive audience to do terrible comedy stories. Yeah. It's also actually a fantastic way. You just just think you know double page of of letter you can put five or six or seven you know different plot hooks in there mm, yeah. not not have to rely on the party meeting uh, mysterious old men in taverns <laughs> but you know, re- but, you know re- really just just uh, and throw particularly if they're going to a new city too you know just throw detail and context and jokes and clues and hints and things they might want mm-hmm. to go and explore so yeah my my one hint keep a game Interesting and fresh is to uh, make sure make sure you uh, make sure you expose the players to uh, the news and the newspapers in the cities they go to. That's always fun. <laughs> that sounds so fun. But I gotta know about how many old men in taverns do you think they've interacted with in the last twenty something? <laughs> <laughs> Probably quite a lot, even so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, we're right, Chris cool. and I are both big fans of uh, like kind of cool physical props and stuff. So mm. the idea of like a newsletter, yeah. a newspaper or something sounds extra fun. I enjoy handing out like handouts in Call of Cthulhu, you know, just mm. little tiny yeah. snippets. But giving people something to like read through and digest is really uh, yeah. appealing to me. No, that, that's that's one of, always one of the most enjoyable parts of the planning for me. So, yeah. yeah, I have to say, you know, listening to you, Bryn, one of the things I've taken away is it sounds like a big part of just making this happen and then stick together was reaching that point where every Monday night we do this, or every other Monday, you it kind yeah. of gets lodged in people's mind as yeah. as something they can count on happening, and that. They can plan around it. So you're not doing that scheduling dance between, okay, yeah. when can we meet next? Oh, I can't make Tuesdays, but yeah. I could make mm-hmm. Thursdays. You know, just as I think about my GMing plans for later this year, you know, that that is encouraging me to like lean into kind of making it a recurring event that people can count on and not not a special thing that has to be negotiated continually. Yes, I, I think that's, that's probably the secret to our longevity. Yes. <laughs> All right, we figured it out. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the podcast is done, Chris. I mentioned yes. accomplished that. That's great. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll do it for us here. Um, so, uh, Roll for Topic has been uh, is part of the Roll for It Media Podcasting Network. Our sister show, The Splat Book, uh, with John Corey and Kyle Latino, is uh, excellent. You can go find them at thesplatbook.com. Uh, it's one of my favorite podcasts, and I'm not just saying that just because I, I like John <laughs> and Kyle outside of their podcast. It's it's really good. Um, I just love their their sort of their thoughts and their ruminations about um, about running games and like what makes them special and all that. So go check it out. Um, but I think that does it for us. Again, thank you, Bryn, so much yeah. for coming on. Um, thank you, guys. Truly wonderful. What a delight to hear about your campaign. Really enjoyed it, guys. Great to meet you. Really appreciate it. And you've yeah. uh, you've 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 uh, won a listener in me as well. I've listened. Oh, to good. Uh, obviously, uh, a few of these in preparation, and I'm going to uh, tr- listen to the backlog, and I'm going to uh, subscribe right. from now on. So uh, keep cool. up the good work. <laughs> Thanks. This yeah. is how we build our uh, our listener base. Yes. Yes. Um, one, one. one at a time uh, by inviting them on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah, you, guys. Thank really appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. Bye.